Well, as you know, we've been in this uh, series for the last several weeks on the book of Daniel called Epic. I've really enjoyed studying through the series, and um, we haven't really talked about some of the backstory uh, behind the series, but I want to give you a little bit of it. If you remember in Daniel chapter 1, um, Babylon and their king, Nebuchadnezzar, has conquered Jerusalem in the year 605 B.C., and uh, Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have have, uh, have been taken into captivity along with Israel's, some of Israel's finest young men, and they've been placed in, in the king's royal service. And um, a few years after that happens, Babylon comes back to Jerusalem and then takes over 10,000 of the young men, the leaders, the, the skilled laborers, the soldiers, Judah's king, Jehoiachin, took them all into captivity. But 23 years before Daniel and his buddies were taken into, into captivity, God had put a prophet on the scene, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. And he begins to speak on behalf of the Lord, calling for Judah and for Israel to repent. Return back to the God of Israel. He's calling them to turn away from their sinful ways. And he says, if you don't, Jerusalem is going to be overtaken and the people are going to be overtaken and they will serve a king of of Babylon. They'll serve kings of foreign nations for a total of 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. Now, just think about this, moms, for a moment, that that this foreign nation comes in, takes your sons, and takes them into captivity to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And you know in your heart you'll probably never see them again. That's the tragedy of what's happening in this whole story right here. But in the midst of this very difficult time of captivity, God speaks to Jeremiah once again. And he tells them, he says, Jeremiah, I want you to tell these words of hope to the people. And this is a very familiar passage for a lot of you, but I want to read it. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 14. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, he says, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And, and the Lord says, I will be found by you and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, many of you are, are very familiar with verse 11 in that. You probably have either learned it in the King James or in the uh, New International Version. And I want to read that just to, to, to bring some familiarity to, to some of you today. It's, the Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, if you're taking notes here today, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, want, you to, I want to ask you to write down three things, Okay. God has a plan. God has made promises. God wants us to pray. God has a plan. God has made promises. God wants us to pray. God's word through Jeremiah, they were spoken centuries ago, specifically to the Israelites that were in captivity in Babylon. Okay? And God's people were in a very challenging situation. 70 years of captivity to a foreign nation in a foreign land. And this was God's plan. He said, if you don't do this, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. But his plan also included a promise of hope for the future. His plan for Israel was to bless her, not to harm her, but to gather her 
from, from exile from all over the world and to bring her to the place that she was taken from. But that plan and those promises were directly tied to Israel's willingness to come back to the Lord and to pray and to seek him with all of their hearts. What Israel couldn't see while this was going on is that God was writing a story. God was writing this beautiful story that would eventually lead them and lead us to a savior, a rescuer named Jesus. And because of God's faithfulness and his never-changing character and, and, and because of his love for us today, we are now part of the story. We're part of God's beautiful story where we, we are God's people who are in captivity in, in a foreign land under rule of a foreign king. But we know that our home is really heaven. And we know that our king's name is Jesus. And one day God will bring us back from the place of exile and he'll give us a plan and a hope for the future. So regardless, I want to say this, regardless of what you're facing today, moms, dads, grandmothers, regardless of what you're facing today, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how bleak things may look right now in your life, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. He's writing a beautiful story. God has made some promises. He has promised to give us a hope and a future but he wants us to pray. And while we pray, he promises to listen. And when we seek after him through prayer, he promises that, that we will find him when we seek him with all of your heart. Right, so in the fall of 2016, we sold our house and we moved closer to the church. And so we have this big dog named Gibson who's like, who's like our baby. There he is, a Mother's Day picture. You notice Amy doesn't have her other two sons on the screen. So he, he's kind of become all, all of our babies. And um, we realized that he needed to walk every day. He has so much energy. So Brian started walking him around the church every morning and just started praying as he was walking. There were several things that were going on that he really wanted to pray about. Our youngest son, Zach, had just gone off to college. And uh, Taylor was dealing with um, some sports injuries. And... Um, we were just really praying for the church, particularly the church finances. finances at the time. And then we just began really, um, I joined Brian in walking, and we just really began praying for just a whole list of people who are sick in the church, for, for marriages. This were a lot of you individually. We have this list on our phone of people that we're praying for. And um, I remember the first time I walked around the church, like the big parking lot out there, I thought, oh my gosh, like that's a long time to pray. I don't even know if I can pray a whole laugh. That sounds really terrible. But um, after we started praying, it's like, oh my gosh, we had we had more prayers, and we just kept praying for more people. And then I thought, I think I, I think I could pray longer. I think I could pray another lap or two. So recently, we started praying at night. So we'll bring Gibson up, and we'll walk him in the morning. And then we'll bring him up, and we'll walk him at night. And it's crazy because we're not, like, prayer experts or anything. We're just walking our dog and talking to God, you know, just praying more, praying um, more fervently than we have, and just praying longer than we have. And yeah. honestly, it's just, it's like changing our life. So, so when we looked at the calendar, and it was our turn to speak together here on Mother's Day, it was almost like a no-brainer because we just want to talk to you about prayer because that's something that God's been doing in our lives yeah. together. Yeah, and that dog's a prayer warrior. You would not believe how he prays. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But we want to talk to you uh, about some things that we're learning. And uh, there's so many things that we could talk about. But just in the time that we have, we want to give you six things that we believe uh, that God has laid on our heart. And I'm going to answer this question. What happens when we pray? 
Well, I want to just give you something that's going to sound very simple, okay? But I want you to understand it's, it's powerful. When we pray, we actually enter into God's presence. And one of the things that Amy and I pray together every single day is this. We say, Lord, as we begin to pray, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus had just finished praying, and the disciples come and they ask Jesus this question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you just teach us to pray? Now, I want you to understand, they didn't ask him, Lord, would you teach us to be better leaders? Would you teach us to preach better sermons? Would you teach us to have more creative church services? Lord, no, no, no. They, they didn't ask for any of that stuff, but they said to him, Lord, would you, would you teach us to pray? And in verse, cha- in verse two of that, of that chapter, Jesus responds to them and he says, okay, here, here we go. When you pray, First of all, you need to start off by recognizing the greatness of God. And so he starts off at what what is known as the Lord's Prayer. This way, he says, when we pray, we need to say, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And one of the things that God is is teaching us to do as we come into his presence and, and as we pray is to focus on the greatness and the power of who we're praying to. Um, author John Eldridge, uh, in a book that we're reading called Moving Mountains, he writes about this and he says that there are roughly 100 billion galaxies in the universe, which means that there are 400 billion suns like the sun that is shining outside. If you begin to, to actually like, to begin to count that number, you could never finish it in this lifetime. And so think of, think of that and think of how many stars would be in, 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 in those galaxies. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But yet, Psalm chapter 147 says that God not only counts the stars, but he actually calls them by name. He is providing for each one of those suns and those galaxies all of the energy that they need. But here's the problem for so many of us when we come into God's presence in prayer, is that your God is too small. Your God is too small. But yet when we turn our gaze onto the one who is actually on the throne of the universe, universe, the one who who created all things and and is holding it all together, then we realize that that power is not an issue for God. Ability is not a problem for God. His resources are unlimited. His reign is everlasting. He is all-powerful. And yet at the same time, his love and his kindness and his grace is so deep for you that that he sent his son Jesus to give his life for you. And I want to ask you, as you're praying, is that the God you're praying to? Is that the God that you're praying to? Or or, are you praying to a God that is way too small? As we come into his presence, our focus should be on a father who is generous, who is loving, who is kind, who is creative, who wants to be intimate with us, but who is just all-powerful. The next thing that that we're learning together is that we come come into the father's presence that, that I, I remind myself of who I am as his child. Now, I want to be honest with you. I have spent many, many years of my Christian faith, especially the earlier years, um, reminding myself of how terrible I was and how much a, of, a, of a worm I was as I came into God's presence. And so just so you know, I have that part down pat, okay? That's not my problem. And some of you can relate to that. But I want you to know as God's child, as, 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 though, as one who has, has received salvation from the Lord, when we come into God's presence feeling that he is distant, that he is, that he is not interested, that, that we're nothing more than beggars, that we're actually pond scum, we're actually missing out on who, we're really, who we really are in, in, in God's eyes. God is continuing to teach me, and I know Amy, of the great riches that I have in Jesus. Every morning I have to remind myself as I'm praying of who I really am because, because of Jesus. It's, it's, I, it's called preaching the gospel to yourself. In other words, as I come to him in prayer, 
I remind him and I remind myself, Lord, I am not a beggar who begs at the gates for crumbs. I'm an adopted son who, who has been blessed with full access to the Father. I have full rights as his child. He, 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 he has promised to meet my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm, I'm not an enemy. I'm not an enemy. Instead, you call me your friend. You love me so much that you gave your only son for my life. You purchased, you purchased my freedom from the grips of, of sin and death. And, and this one is something that she and I have just been grabbing hold of for the last couple of years. Not only does God love us, but he likes us. And some of you really struggle with that. You struggle with not only the idea that God loves you, but that he actually likes you. He likes the, the, the uniqueness of you and, 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 and how he's created you and, and, and all of that. And, and we're learning to rest in that. But as we pray, we're like, Lord, we're praying to a father who loves us. And Lord, you actually like us. And he has chosen me. He's chosen me, he's chosen her to partner with him in this mission to see the world become redeemed, to be rescued from sin. And I could go, go on and on and on and on about preaching the gospel to yourself. But this is what I have to preach to myself as I sit, as I walk in his presence, because it completely changes the way that I relate to him. It completely changes the way that I talk to him. Instead of coming into his presence as, as, as some kind of beggar, you know, sitting at the gates going, Lord, just drop me a crumb, you know, just a little crumb. Instead, I come, I come as a beloved son walking into the presence of a powerful but very caring father who wants to meet with me. Mm-hmm. Number That's two. That's good. He always does things in the second service that surprise me. Things he doesn't do in the first. All right, number two. Prayer heightens our... Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. Prayer heightens our awareness of what God is doing all around us. Uh, Prayer helps us to see things like God sees them. And the more we pray, the more we begin to notice. So there's this cluster of nerve cells at the bottom of our brain, and it's called the reticular activating system. It just kind of monitors our environment. It's almost like a filing system for smells and sounds and things that we have seen in the past. And so here's an example of it. Um, Many years ago, I was at a grocery store, and I was looking in the meat section. And so I was kind of bent over looking at the meats, and all of a sudden, this man came up to me, and he's looking at the meats, and I could smell him so distinctly. It's like I knew what it was. It took me back because he smelled just like my grandpa. And my grandpa died when I was seven. So here I am looking in the meats, and I knew there were three things. One was a little bit of alcohol. And some cigarette smoke. And then that little glass bottle of Old Spice cologne. And that combination, it's that reticular activating system. Did you hug that, man? No, I wanted to hug him. But I just pretended like I was looking at the meats and I was just smelling them in. It was like I was with my grandpa for just a little second. I got big tears in my eyes and went to the car and I just cried. I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't smelled that in years and years. Um, It's amazing, isn't it, how our brain will work? So here's another example. Um, I got a white car. And when we first got my car, I remember going to Walmart. So we parked the car in the parking lot, and I walked in. And when I came out of Walmart, I was looking around, and I went, oh, my gosh. Like, there's white cars everywhere in this parking lot, right? They all went out and bought white cars while you were in there. It's not that they bought white cars and filled the parking lot. There's always white cars there, but I began to notice white cars because now I have one, right? Right. Um, 
when we pray for something, it creates a category in our brain, and then we begin noticing things that are related to our prayers. It's almost like a coincidence, but it's not a coincidence. It's a divine opportunity. So here's an example. When we pray, God, I want to help hurting people. Help me to be able to help people, Lord, who are struggling. All of a sudden, what happens? Well, we start seeing all of these hurting people. It's like, where did all these hurting people come from? Well, they were there all along. We just never noticed them because we weren't praying about it. But um, when we begin to pray, we'll begin to notice things that we've been praying about. Um, In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read a story about the king of Aram. And he sent an army to attack the prophet Elisha in his city. Well, Elisha's servant was super nervous because he saw this huge army coming and he's scared to death. And he said, you know, what in the world are we going to do? He's scared, but Elisha was just chilled out. So verse 17, I love. It says, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now they were there. It was God who was going to fight for Elisha in the city, but the servant couldn't see it. Now, I don't want to be oblivious like that, do you? I don't want to be oblivious to what God's doing all around me. I want to say, God, who is it that you want us to help? Where do you want us to go? What is it that you want us to do? When we walk in a room, we can say, God, would you show us who we need to speak to? Who's discouraged or needs encouragement today? And when we begin to partner with God in that way through prayer, we will have an awareness. It's like, it's crazy. Like you'll begin to see this is exactly who I need to speak to. And then we're bold because we know God has shown us because we begin to notice that God's at work all around us. That's good. That's good. Number three, when we pray, we receive strength to make it through tough times. I know sometimes... You know, when we're walking through difficulties, we, we, we have this kind of go-to feeling that, you know, God is distant, that God doesn't care about us, that, that, that he's too busy, or sometimes we'll even go, God, have you left me? You know, where, where are you right now? Listen to what, what David sang to the Lord when King Saul and, and his enemies were chasing him down, trying to kill him. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 6, this is powerful. He says, David says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. And he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. And David says, when I, when I cried out to him for help, he heard my, he heard my words. He, he, my words actually reached his ears. They, they spoke into his sanctuary. And then he says in verse 16, and he reached down from heaven and he rescued me. He, draw, he drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were, and were too strong for me. And they attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me, and I love this. He rescued me because he delights in me. After college... Um, I went through uh, two very, very challenging relationship situations. Both, both of them ended um, with a lot of heartbreak for me. And both times uh, I, I, was, I was living in another state, and both times my parents called me and said, listen, why don't you just come home for a little while and, and uh, let's just help you get yourself back together. And so I flew home to my parents' house in Michigan. And, and at night when it, when it would get dark, my dad would say, hey, let's go outside and let's go, let's go pray together. And at the entrance of my parents' property, they had about five acres of property out in about, about 60 miles north of Detroit, um, there was this giant rock at the, at the entrance of, of, our, of our property. And 
my dad would just go, hey, son, let's go hit the rock. And we would walk down their long driveway, and it just seemed like there were a million stars uh, in that beautiful Michigan sky at night. And we would just sit on that, that big rock, and we would, talk about, we would talk about the greatness of God, and we would talk about how powerful he was. And then we would pray together. And I don't know if you know this, some of you do, maybe you don't, but that big rock now sits in our prayer garden up here at the top of the parkway. And, and I'll have a dad who will call me or send me a picture or a grandfather and, and they'll be there with their grandson or, or son and say, hey, I just want you to know, I just led my son to the Lord on, on your dad's prayer rock. But I love the fact that when I would go home and I would sit down with my dad and even my mom, they didn't try to, to fix all my issues themselves. My dad didn't try to be my strength, but he instead learned, he taught, he, he brought me to the one who was my strength. And as we prayed together, I could just feel the Lord rescuing me from my broken heart. I could literally feel him filling me with hope for my future. I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't see exactly what he was doing. I couldn't see exactly where all this was going, but he was strengthening me. And he was writing in the midst of this, he was writing this beautiful story that would eventually lead me to this beautiful lady. And I can't tell you how many times she and I have found strength praying for each other. Uh, praying together as we're walking around the church. There have been, uh, there have been, there have been nights over the years with, with our boys when they've gone through you know, bad injuries or, or, or really difficult heartbreaks. Sometimes we would hold each other at night in bed and cry, praying out to the Lord. And I want you to know he's not distant. He, he is not too busy. He is certainly not uncaring. He promises that when we seek him, we will find him. And when we seek him with all of our heart, he'll be near to us. And so I want you to know that, that, that when you pray, you're going to find strength to make it through difficult times. Number four. Number four is prayer makes us bold and confident. Prayer gives us a humble confidence. It's not in ourself, but it's a confidence in God. So why is it that we think that God's offended when we pray these big prayers? Like we pray these crazy, impossible, specific things, and we almost feel like we offend God. Like, like maybe we think that God's too busy, and we don't want to bother him because he's spinning the planet. Or we think that maybe we've asked too much, and we've met our prayer quota, right? Like I've heard people say, I'm just going to ask one thing. I just got one thing. Like, Why? You know, we can ask for more than one thing. Sometimes we don't think we deserve it. We just think, I'm really not good enough to come into God's presence. I probably don't even deserve him to do anything for me anyway. But I think most of us have probably a small view of God. We have a small view of God. And Mark Batterson says some things in the Draw the Circle book that we've been reading together. And so I'm going to share a couple of those things with you. But he says, when we pray vague little prayers then we don't really even know if God answered them or not, right? Like, help this, please help that. Then when he does, it's like, well, did he answer our prayer? I don't know, maybe. It's probably going to happen anyway. It's probably just a coincidence, right? I've caught myself saying that. Oh, I don't know. It probably would have happened anyway. And what I wind up doing is like robbing God from the credit that he deserves because my prayers were so small and they were so vague. But God's honored when we pray big, audacious prayers, when we pray super specific stuff. Why is that? It's because God will show up and then he shows off and we know it was him. We're like, this was so crazy. This was so specific. This was never going to happen except God intervenes. And that's when our hearts go, thank you, God. We couldn't have done that without you. Mm -hmm. And then we're, it's easy for us to give him the glory, right? 
because he is the one that did it. Now, if you, if you know the verse in Luke, Luke chapter 11, it says, ask, seek, and knock. It's saying, um, ask, you know, and you'll receive, and, and seek, and you're going to find, and knock, and the door is going to be open to you. But um, those verbs are called present imperative, and it's, it's a verb that just keeps on and on acting. It means keep on seeking and keep on knocking and keep on asking until God answers. And why is that? There's just something about prayer that, like, we're just building this relationship with God, and he's doing stuff. Mm. He's just doing stuff if our life, in our life if we just keep on knocking and keep on asking. Do you remember the story about the religious leaders of the day, how they were trying to quiet Peter and John by not allowing them to preach in the name of Jesus? And this is what they said. This was Peter and John's reaction, Acts 4, verse 19 and 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And I love that. They just kind of said, we've been with Jesus too bad, you know, we're going to speak about Jesus anyway, no matter what you said. And they were bold because they had been with Jesus, right? And it's the same for us when we're with Jesus, when we spend time with him in prayer, he gives us this boldness. He gives us this confidence in him. Now, I love the story about the temple veil. It's one of my favorites. Um, In the temple, there was a holy place, remember? And then there's this huge, thick tall veil, and behind the veil was the holy of holies, the most holy place. And once a year, only the high priest could go in and offer sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. And when he went in, he even had to have a rope tied around his ankle because he was so purified on the outside and on the inside that if he were not purified enough, he would actually drop dead and they would pull him out with a rope. Now, that's crazy, right? I don't want to go anywhere where I have to have a rope around my ankle. In case I drop dead, they can yank me out. Like, I don't even want to go there. But you know the story that made all the difference? It's when Jesus died on the cross, right? When he died because he's perfect and he shed his perfect blood, that veil, the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies, it was ripped. Not like a little lady cutting it at the bottom and trying to tear it all the way up, but God ripped it from the top to the bottom. And when he did it, opened up the holy of holies. And that's when God said, come in. You can come in now, right? He said... God says, I want to be close to you. I want us to be close, and I want you to ask for everything you need. And so he says in Hebrews 14, 4, 16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and then we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. He's like our dad who's opened up the Holy of Holies for us and asked us to come in. So number five is we will experience God's hand of protection when we pray. You know, we're praying for our kids, for our family, for our friends, for sick people in the church. We've been praying for marriages. This list on my phone, we're going through and just praying and praying. And one of the best ways that we can all pray is to pray God's word back to him. So this has become one of my favorites, and it's Psalm 91. I'm just going to read part of it to you, okay? And I have to get some water because it's kind of long. You're killing it. Keep going. Okay. Psalm 91. 
This is sweet. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Do not be afraid of the tears of the night or of the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, excuse me, these evils will not touch you. And skip down to verse 14. He says, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble and I will rescue and honor them with a long life and I will give them my salvation. Mm, that's good. <laughs> See what happens when you get up here with him, you start crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what happens? But imagine the power of praying those words over your children. Yes. Praying those words over your marriage. I mean, you're praying, you're praying the powerful words that God has mm-hmm. spoken back to him and saying, God, I'm resting in this. Yes. I'm claiming this. Number six, we'll receive God's guidance. Now, I know some of you in here today, you need God's direction. You need his guidance right now. You want so desperately to know his will. But sometimes we just don't know. We're like, Lord, we, we want to do your will, but we just don't know what your will is. And so... Amy and I have been learning to just to start off every prayer by just saying, Lord, we're going to ask you for direction. We're going, to, we're going to bring our needs before you. We're going to pray with shameless audacity, which is a word that used, phrase used in Luke chapter 11, verse 8. But we want you to know at the end of the day that more than anything else, we want your will. And more than anything else at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, you're going to get the glory. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17 says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths that you should follow. The Holy One, the Redeemer, promises to come alongside of us and to personally lead us down the right path, but he wants us to pray. Back in 1996, um, Amy and I had, um, had decided that, that this is where God wanted us to plant a church, and we invited three other families to join us, and uh, and it was just a, it was just this adventure that was just, it, it was crazy because we just felt like, you know, if we looked down, we were just going to completely fall. And so our eyes were so on Jesus. And uh, I, I received this phone call from a guy who had lived here for many, many years. He was a church planter. He had actually planted Burnt Hickory Baptist. He had planted Piedmont Baptist uh, down by Town Center Mall. Uh, his name is Dr. Buddy Crowder. And just a, just a guy that a lot of people around this area knew. He made a lot of money, uh, with all the, owned a lot of the billboards all over Atlanta. And, but he was a church planter. And uh, he would go and he would buy up pieces of property all over northwest Atlanta and different places. And, and then he would gift those properties to churches. And so I found myself on the phone with him in the fall of 1996. And, and uh, I, he was asking me questions about, about what the church would be like and talking to me about our doctrinal statement and our theology and and, and the, the style of church. And at the very end of, of our conversation, he said, hey, I, I want you to know that I have this piece of property in Paulding County. And uh, it's 42 acres. And he described to me where it was. And he said, I really believe that, 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 that I would like to, when you get here, I believe that this would be a great piece of property for your church. And, 
And so, I mean, I got off the phone and I was like, Amy, I can't believe this. We haven't even moved there yet and we have land. I mean, can you believe this? And um, in December of 1996, I didn't know he was sick when I was talking to him on the phone. He passed away. And so we moved here uh, believing that we had land. We got here in June of 1997. And, and very shortly after we got here, we found out that the land was no longer going to be given to us. And it was, it was tough. I got to be honest with you because, you know, land is just, you know, it's just hard to find. And uh, especially something that, that is big enough that we felt that God wanted us to pursue. And so um, we began to just pray and pray. And, and as you know, the church started off about a, half, about a mile and a half up the road in Vaughn Elementary School. And we didn't know even where the church was going to be. Well, in 1999, January 1st, 1999, God led me to do a 40-day fast. And so 40 days, I had, I had 14 things that I had written down and said, God, these are so big and they're so audacious that, that, that you have to be the one that answers these prayers because they're just, we're desperate for you. And, and one of the, the issues that one of the items on that prayer list was, Lord, would you show us the land? I wasn't actually asking God, like on the, on the paper, would you, give us, would you show us where this church is going to be one day? And so 38 out of 40 days of that fast, um, I came uh, from our office in Hiram over to this property behind us and uh, across the street. And I parked my car on the side of 92 and, and I would just climb up on this big rock. And, and for 38 out of 40 days, the other two, it was pouring rain. I would just go through this list of prayers and, and, and I would say, Lord, would you just show me the land? I, you don't have to give it to us, but Lord, this 42 acres that I'm sitting on right here that was actually promised to us, it would be really nice if you gave us this because we, this is so awesome. But Lord, I want your will, but I'm asking you that you just show us where this church is supposed to be. Because I, I didn't know where it was supposed to be. We didn't know if it was supposed to be way down in South Paulding. Way, we didn't know. And so that's what was going on for 40 days. And, and this just became this ongoing issue. And one of the things that God just kept speaking to my heart as I would pray for land is he would just say to me, build people, don't worry about building buildings. It's not that time. Build people, build people, don't build, build. don't worry about this. And I would go, yes, Lord. So, but it just kept going on and people would call us on the phone and they would go, hey, there's a two acres and there's a trailer. And you know, I'm like, no, you, you don't catch the vision of what we believe God's doing here. And we already have thousands of people, you know, however many people. And so, um, 2002, one of our elders, Jeff Brewer, called me and he said, I want to meet you over on that property. And I said, Jeff, I'm just tired of that property. He said, I want, I want you to meet me there. And so, he met me across the street. I pulled my truck in. He pulled his car behind me and he got out and he said, I'm praying that God's going to release this off of you. Because this is a burden that you shouldn't have, that you shouldn't carry any longer. And he prayed, he literally put his hands on my head and prayed this amazing prayer. All these cars are flying by. And, uh, and when I left that property, I felt, God, you've released me from this. This is not where we're supposed to be. I'm done with this, Lord. This, let's, go, let's talk about what you have next for us. And so a year went by, and I get a phone call from the new director of the Noonday Baptist Association, Larry Fillingham. And he says, hey, you know, I know years ago this property, I'm kind of getting my hands around this story, 42 acres. And he said, can you meet me out there? And, and I want to walk it and see it. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to be on that property anymore. I'm done with it. He goes, no, I, I know you know it. And I, can you just walk with me? And I said, sure, I'll meet you there. So we park our car across the street and he gets out and we start walking through the property. And, and uh, he's like, man, this is a beautiful piece of property. This would be a great place for a church. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I know that. You know, I was like, <laughs> so um, while we're out there, my cell phone rings and 
a friend of mine in this church who's still with us today, Scott Loffridge, who has, been, has sang on this stage many times. Um, he said, Brian, he said, he said uh, where are you right now? I said, well, I'm east of 92, south of what at the time was Drag Strip Road, and I'm just walking this piece of property. And he said, listen, he said, I think I just found the church some property. And I said, really? I said, where are you? And he goes, well, let me call you right back. He calls me right back. He says, I'm right across the street from you. And I said, really? And, and I said, he said, can you meet me over there right now? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll get off this godforsaken property and I'll walk over to, to where you are, the promised land. And, and so, um, but as I'm, as I'm walking north up to where my truck was, I'm looking at where he told me the entrance was. And all of a sudden it hit me back in 1999, I was praying, Lord, would you just show us where this land's supposed to be? And I, for all that time, God had answered 13 out of 14 things with a resounding yes in a miraculous way. And, and it just seemed like every day it was like, no, no, no. And I'm watching this and I'm going, God, this is amazing. Because I was asking you all those times, thinking that you were saying no to me and you were saying no here, but that's what you were, you were answering my prayer. You were just saying not yet. You were actually looking at it. I was looking at it. Every day I would walk off that property, I was actually looking at what would become the entrance of Westridge Church. And this property here, God blessed us with it in an amazing way. And, uh, and I realized, even sitting here today, had God answered that prayer, we would have missed out on this. And that was too small for us because God knew better that we were going to grow to this size and even beyond. And we would have never been able to do all of this over there and God knew that, and God was writing this beautiful story in the midst of all of it, but I just couldn't see it, and it was so discouraging. Well, fast forward, if you would, to this past week. Tuesday, I'm sitting at Starbucks with uh, Brian Case, our administrator, Paul Richardson, our lead pastor of ministries, and Brian Case looks at me, and he, and, and he says, uh, we're talking about all the land around here, okay? And uh, he said, hey, he said, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but there, there's a for sale sign across the street. It's 18 acres, and I said, yeah, I saw it. He goes, we need to put a contract on it. I'm like, he goes, seriously, he told me how much it was. And I'm like, really? And he goes, let's, uh, yeah, let's go walk it. And so that 42 has been divided up. Someone's bought a house down here and there's five acres right at the back of this uh, neighborhood that Noonday owns. And then there's 18 that's actually owned by that family. And uh, I believe that the, the real estate agent is the daughter of the man who initially promised the property. Brian said, let's go walk this property. So Wednesday, we walked over there, and just as beautiful as I remember it, East Paulding's putting their cross, they put their cross-country trail around it, and it's East Paulding High School. And so we walked around the trail, and, and Brian says, you know what? I think we need to, we need to go ahead and put a, put a contingency contract on this. And I'm, I just said to him, I said, Brian, listen, if you drag my heart back out onto this property again, only to have it broken again, I will slap you down. I mean, I... <laughs> So we walked it, and, and, and then we found, I found out, I found out that someone else was, was going to put a, a contract, a contract on it that night. And I'm like, are you kidding me? After all of these years, someone's finally going to do this right now when we're here? And so we put a, put a contract on that 18 acres over there and uh, contingent on our elders' approval on 45 days of due diligence. And I may be setting you all up for a big heartbreak. Trust me, mine's been worse than anything you're going to experience with that property. <laughs> But the next day, that contract someone else was going to put on came before ours did. And, uh, and, but we put, it on, we put it on there, and the family, um, it was just dependent on what the family wanted to do, and they were equal. And we, ours had less stipulations connected to it, and so we got it. Contingent on a few things. 
And I took her and Taylor over there the other day, and I thought, you know, this would be an amazing place one day. And don't hold me to this. I'm dreaming out loud in front. This is dangerous what I'm doing. But wouldn't this be an amazing place for a student center and for a community center tied into the back of East Paulding High School, the front of East Paulding High School and East Paulding Middle School and a place where our kids, could, students could come. And, you know, and, and, and I'm going after the five acres tomorrow, so pray for me. But, um, you know, it's amazing because sometimes when you pray, God just says yes, and it's like, thank you. And sometimes when you pray, God's like, no. And you, you, you just see it as a clear no. And then sometimes no just is like no, and, and you just keep praying and keep praying, and you don't realize that sometimes God's saying not yet. And sometimes those moments are painful. And through this whole journey, through this whole journey, God at one point to me was saying not yet because I'm getting ready to do something really cool. I'm getting ready to show you something you can't see in your, in your humanity. But Brian, if I would give you this right now, this, we would not be fulfilling what I want to do with Westridge Church. And then no, for all these years, turned into a not yet and maybe to a yes. Because God said, now's the right time. Now's the right time. You just keep praying. You just stay faithful. Don't you get bitter. Don't you get angry. Don't you take your eyes off of me. Because my no may turn into a not yet. You don't even know it's a not yet. It's not really a no. And some of you today, you're praying for a son or a daughter, you're a mom, and you keep feeling like God's saying no, but yet what God's saying is not yet. He's writing a beautiful story. All these years, God's writing this beautiful story with this property. I couldn't see it. Some of you have a marital issue that you're really struggling through right now. And God may be writing a beautiful story. Don't you give up. Don't you stop praying. Don't you stop seeking him. Don't you stop asking for very specific, powerful things that can only be done in his power. You pray with shameless audacity to a God who oversees 400 billion galaxies, who provides the energy to every sun in those galaxies. He's that powerful. He can do it. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. You come after him and you come not as a beggar sitting at the gates looking for a crumb, a little speck. You come as a son or daughter with full access to the father who loves you, who gave his son's life for you. And when he died, he ripped the veil so that you could walk into his presence with boldness and confidence, not with a rope tied around your ankle, but as a son or daughter with full heir, with, with access because you are a, you're a, you're a full heir to, the, to everything that God promises to Jesus himself. And your prayers are timeless. And your prayers are timeless. Prayers that your grandma prayed for you years ago are still on the table. Mm-hmm. Prayers you're praying for your kids right now. There's no expiration date. Prayers that Jesus prayed for us. There's, there's no expiration date on those prayers. Prayers that, we're, prayers that we're praying for our boys right now. There's no time limit on those prayers. Our prayers are timeless. God wants us to pray. We just want to ask you, would you join us as a couple in praying for our church and praying for those in this church, for praying for our community? We're asking God to push away darkness in some really dark areas like racism and fatherlessness. We realize we can't do this by ourselves. You tackle something that big, it's going to take a lot of people praying together praying with shameless audacity, believing that God is going to move. I want you to bow your head for a moment. Some of you can't see it right now, but God's writing a beautiful story in your life.
You're in the middle of it. You can't see the end. It doesn't look very beautiful, but it is. Some of you here today and you've never, you've never become a son or daughter of the King Jesus. You're lost without him. And a simple prayer can lead you into the throne room of grace to receive his salvation and his mercy. Would you pray with me right now if you're here and you're lost today? Just say, Father, (laughs) I need Jesus. I need all that he offers to me today. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. And you promise it because of what Jesus has done on the cross to give it to me. And I am undeserving. I don't deserve this kind of grace, this kind of forgiveness, but I receive it because Jesus paid the price for it. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and so I do what I only I know to do is to receive it by faith, thanking you for your grace. Would you come into my life right now and rescue me and save me? In Jesus' name, amen.